Well, hello, City Gates. This is Alan Frau here, coming to you from sunny Southern California, sending lots of love from the Southlands family to yours. Um, thinking of you all, uh, most likely sitting in, in your homes, uh, watching this. And I know that in some ways you probably feel like this is a parallel universe where we all open up and you on on lockdown still. And um, this is a strange time, isn't it? It's been a strange year. And uh, please know that we are praying for you. Uh, we hear really encouraging reports just of your perseverance, um, your love for the Lord and your love for the saints and love for the lost and uh, your generosity, your sacrifice. So keep up at it. I mean, this class of 2021 is going to be absolutely defined and marked by what God uh, has done in them through this tough time. And uh, he is at work in you. And uh, I, it's my privilege to be able to share with you from the Word of God and uh, hopefully encourage you, uh, hopefully help you to prepare for your next season as you come back into uh, an in-person dynamic increasingly. So I'm just going to pray and then we're going to go for it. Father, thank you so much that um, we are your children. We are adopted by your grace. Uh, we stand as sons and daughters, knowing that we have a good father, knowing that we have uh, an unchanging message and mission uh, with your word that is eternal. So I pray that you would encourage and align and build up your body uh, in Canada through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. I've really been taken in the last year or so by a book called Gentle and Lowly, written by a Dane Ortland, Ray Ortland's son. And uh, in it, he, he talks about Jesus, the great intercessor. And uh, so today I'm going to talk from uh, John 17 about rebuilding in line with Jesus, the great intercessor. And Ortland asks the question, he says, we know what Jesus did, but what is Jesus doing now? We know that what he did in his death, his life, his resurrection, was that he justified us. He declared his people righteous, those that trust in him. But what is he doing now? And from Hebrews chapter 7, he takes this beautiful, precious verse where he says, uh, we know that Jesus ever lives to intercede for us because he is the high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. And therefore, he's able to save us to the uttermost. He ever lives to intercede for us. What has Jesus done? He's justified us. What is he doing? He is interceding for us. The beautiful thing is that Jesus is interceding at the Father's right hand, that what he did on the cross might be known to us on a moment-by-moment basis. He's saying, Father, won't you hit, as it were, the refresh button on my justification so that my people would walk in all the fullness of what I've done for them now in a moment-by-moment -moment manner. And I love that description of Ortlands about Jesus, the great intercessor. But I found myself going, yeah, that's fantastic. That seems really individualistic, though, that he's just praying for each of us that the Father would hit the refresh button on our justification. But what about the collective? Is, is Jesus praying for us?
collectively. And that's where John 17, and I'm going to teach from John 17, is so helpful. Uh, It's called the high priestly prayer. And it's actually the longest prayer that Jesus prayed in the flesh for his disciples. Jesus is recorded as praying in the Gospels 25 times. And and the Lord's Prayer is probably the most famous of the prayers that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who lives in heaven, holy is your name. But I think in many ways that should be called the disciples' prayer. And this John 17 prayer should be called the Lord's Prayer. It is the longest prayer that Jesus prayed. It takes three and a half minutes to read. And it is 650 words. The beautiful thing about it is that Jesus prayed it for his disciples after the Last Supper. But he said that he would pray this, not only for them, he would pray it for every person that believed the gospel. In other words, it's the longest prayer, not just in terms of words, but in terms of duration, longevity. He is praying it in every generation for every disciple that believes the gospel. Our great intercessor is praying this prayer. And so go figure, it's something that we need to align ourselves with, something that we need to amen both with our hearts and our lives because we know this is Jesus' eternal will for his people, for his church. I wonder what would happen if the church worldwide came to grips with the fact that this is Jesus' great will for his people and he's praying it for us. So let's align ourselves and amen it. And so you're going to have someone or some people from your church read it because it's going to take some time and then I'm going to speak after it. John chapter 17 verse 1 to 26. John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, then they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. 
But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I give to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So there it is. My, my charge is that we would position ourselves as recipients of this great high priestly prayer. And that we would confidently say, this is God's will for us in every generation and in every season, no matter how strange the season gets. And the big idea is that Jesus' highest prayer, his longest prayer, is in essence a passionate plea for unity. A passionate plea for unity. Father, make them one even as you and I are one. It's a passionate plea for unity. And this prayer doesn't happen in a vacuum. This prayer takes place off the back of an argument around the Last Supper table. Luke 22 gives a discourse of this argument that happened between the disciples around that Last Supper table, where they argue about who would have the places of honor, who would have the greatest name, as it were. And Luke 22 says, uh, an argument broke out. And that word argument, it's, it's the only time this Greek word is used, and it's the word philonica. And it's more than just an argument. It is, philonica is the love of quarreling or the love of winning. It's actually where we get our word Nike from, which was Nike was the Greek goddess of victory. And so there was this love of victory. Who's going to win here around the table? Who's going to have the highest seat of honor? Who's going to be greatest around the table? There was insecurity. There was comparison. There was jockeying for position amongst the disciples at the Last Supper. And it's out of that argument and this love of winning, this philonica, that Jesus 
presents an incredible remedy. And his remedy, first of all, is demonstrative. He actually gives an example of how to deal with a love of strife, a love of winning, Philonica. And he gets up from the table and he takes a towel, he takes a bowl of water and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Secretly, these disciples, their love of themselves, their care for themselves was actually damaging unity. It was a great disruptor of unity. And our self-focus, whether we're at home or whether we're together, our self-focus is a great disruptor of unity. And Jesus actually provides a remedy before he prays of being a servant, saying actually the Son of Man did not come to serve himself but to serve others and to pour his life out as a ransom for others. And so you are to follow my example. And it's into this atmosphere of Philonica that, that Jesus prays this incredible plea, Father, may they be one even as you and I are one. Before Jesus prays, Jesus provides an example of servanthood. And I want to say unity, the, the, the prayer of unity that Jesus has for you, City Gates, is actually firstly found in his example of servanthood. Jesus was indicating that through his servanthood that these people were a community meant to serve one another for his glory. Father, glorify me. At, at the heart of unity is a desire to glorify Christ and not ourselves. I don't know about you, but I love soccer. Uh, soccer, as they say here. I'm used to calling it football. But there was a team in the 90s, Newcastle United, that I'm interested in following. And they uh, had this one player called Lee Bowyer who was incredible. He was like a fox terrier. But he had a love of self. He was always serving himself. And there was this one notorious game where he and a player on his team got into a fist fight. Now he was known for kind of getting to fist fights with the other team and, 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 and while he would get carded, etc., the team would actually use his aggression to win. But on this particular time, he got into fist fight with another player on his team. And you just see the other team going, we've won because they are in Philonica. And one of the things that, that, that coaches, a good coach, calls players to do is to play for the name on the front of the jer jersey rather than the back of the jersey. When we play for the name on the back, that, that's our name, we actually fight for ourselves. But when we play for the name on the front, the, the, the glory of the team, actually that's when we win. And that's what Jesus is saying is when you stop playing for yourself and play for my glory, then you are walking towards unity. I charge you in your quest for unity to answer the prayer that Jesus is praying, Father, make them one even as you and I are one, that you would follow the example of Christ, serving one another, 
laying your life down, being willing to sacrifice, having a high pain threshold to serve the other. One of the things that we've found as we've come out of isolation is people are happy to be together, but the idea of serving and volunteering is tough because people have actually really enjoyed a slower pace of life. And now people that did sign up to be on the greeter team or the coffee team or the prayer team or open their homes, now suddenly they're very boundaried. They want to serve their own boundaries and their own comfort. And I want to encourage you to follow the example of Christ. Don't just come out when the government allows you to be in person, but come out as servants, following the example of Christ. Secondly, uh, unity is only possible through union with Christ. I want you to notice here how many times Jesus mysteriously uses the doctrine of union as a fuel for unity. There are multiple indwellings that he talks about in this prayer. That the Father is in the Son. That the Son is in the Father, verse 21 and 23. That believers are in the Father and in the Son. And that the Son is in believers. So while disciples cannot claim the exact same union as the Father and the Son have, there is a likeness in their union, even as you and I are one. In other words, it's Christ in us, our union with Him, that empowers us to be united with one another. And that is mysterious, but it's absolutely vital. The glory of the Trinity United in diversity is actually something that Jesus wants to share with you and I as he indwells each one of us. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not all being exactly the same. That's not glorious at all. But unity that comes out of diversity, where actually the triune God lend us something of their united diversity, brings such glory to God. A man called Larry Watermarker, who leads a church in Long Beach in L.A., says this. He says, We are able to find unity by honoring one another because we are glorifying the Christ that indwells each one of us. This is more than a functional unity. Oh, Lord, indwell me so that we can be one. Uh, Jesus actually describes the very essence of eternal life as knowing the indwelling God. Verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The doctrine of union is not just knowing about God, but actually knowing Him, understanding His presence and His ways and His heart. And this is not something that you and I have to force. This is something that Jesus is praying for. In verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. It's something that God desires for us. You know, it's much harder to serve myself and it's much easier to serve you when I'm living consciously. 
with the indwelling Christ and his presence. That Christ who came to empty himself to serve others. That indwelling presence empowers me to serve you. Jesus has made a way for his indwelling to be an experiential reality. In John 16, before this prayer, he talks about the helper, the Holy Spirit. And he says to his disciples, it is for your exceeding advantage that I go to the Father. Because if I go to the Father, I will leave you the helper to be with you forever. In other words, the helper would be the very presence of Christ indwelling each one of us. That's why Jesus said that it would be better if I wasn't there. That having Christ indwell each of his people versus one Christ in the flesh is an exceeding advantage because we have access to the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. So I want to charge you, secondly, to pursue union with the indwelling Christ by his spirit. It will be a fuel for unity with one another. And third, to, to be unified is to have a common framework for being both sent and sanctified. And I want us to try and explore this incredible tension that Jesus has in this prayer of his disciples being both sent ones and sanctified ones. He says, Father, they have believed my word and the word will hate them because of my word. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. That's verse 14 to 18. So, so the disciple has a complex relationship with the world. In, but not of. Neither separation from the world, nor syncretism with the world. We are, as one writer said, we are resident aliens. And that's a, a tough truth and intention, isn't it? We are both sanctified from the world, but sent into the world. And, and Jesus is praying for us, for every disciple, that we would be both sanctified from the world and sent into it. And we know those churches that are so separate. They focus on sanctification, on becoming more holy. They so much like that, that they are missionally useless. They, they, they focus on often very moralistic principles. Uh, here in America, particularly in the South, where they talk about, you know, don't drink and don't smoke and, uh, and don't chew or marry girls that do. You know, it's, it's, it's a very moralistic separatism where sanctification has been the goal and it actually fights mission. And then we see other churches on the other side who are very much sent ones, missional, reaching the world, but they become so much in the world that they become of it. And there is no holiness. There is no distinction between the world and them. I'm not talking about legalism or moralism here. I'm talking about aligning ourselves with Jesus' prayer. Sanctify them by your word. Your word 
is truth. You know, we will never be unified until we have a similar definition of what it is to be worldly and what it is to be sanctified from the world. We, of course, need a common mission, but we also need a common definition of what it is to be worldly and what it is to be sanctified from the world. I'm fascinated by our Zoom culture, where we're always on Zoom with our square, and how many of us are pretending we're there, but actually we're doing a bunch of stuff outside of the Zoom frame. We're looking at our emails, checking social media, checking our stocks, uh, we doing whatever, holding hands with our wife. And not that that's bad, that's good, but there's a bunch of stuff that we're doing out of the frame that actually, I mean, even the way we dress, you know, business on the top and shorts on the bottom. There's a bunch of stuff we're doing out of the Zoom frame that we wouldn't want people to see or know. And very often an unsanctified believer is like that. Inside the frame they look one way, but outside of the frame they're doing something completely different. And I want to charge you humbly during the season to align yourself with Jesus' prayer through authenticity, through transparency, through confession, and not confession in kind of Christianese vagueness, but actually saying, man, I need to repent of this. The Holy Spirit is convicting me of this. Please hold me accountable for this. So much in isolation, so much sin happens in the darkness. And it's time to bring it into the Zoom frame. It's time to bring it into the light. Do you know there's this amazing thing about the gospel that when we cover up our sin in darkness, actually there's going to be a time when Jesus drags it into the light. But when we do the opposite, we bring our sin into the light, Jesus immediately covers it up in His grace. Bring it into the light and allow Him to cover it by His grace. That will glorify Him. It will be healthy for us. And long term, it will be good for the mission. Finally, Unity is paramount for the success of the mission. I love this last piece of Jesus' prayer where he says, Father, verse 21, I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you are have sent me. You know, unity includes having good chemistry. Unity includes keeping short accounts. Unity includes being able to overlook an offense. Unity includes being quick to forgive and quick to repent. Unity includes having hard conversations, speaking the truth in love. And I just want to warn you, because we're a few months ahead of you in terms of coming into in-person. Man, I'm loving being back in in-person. But you know what? Being in isolation was easier on relationships because we didn't have any friction. Now we're back. It's awesome. But now we're having to have these hard conversations and forgive and repent and speak the truth and love, etc. Unity has a skill set that we have to engage biblically. 
Unity includes not just sorting out disunity, but actually celebrating deep friendship and community. I want to encourage you to find ways, even if it's only in the backyard, only with limited numbers, to celebrate being in the flesh where you can. Just enjoying your beautiful country, good food, beautiful scenery. I mean, you look at the model of Jesus around a table. Eat together, play together. This is absolutely vital for the soul. But you know what? It's not just vital for soul and health. It's vital for the mission. Make them one so that the world may know that you sent your son. That's an incredible thing, isn't it? What makes the veracity of the gospel's claims believable is that a diverse community love one another and are unified. It's an amazing thing to think about. It's almost as though Jesus is saying to the world, if my disciples do not love one another, I understand if you do not believe my message of love. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is letting the world off the hook. Everyone will face a judgment day. Everyone will have a reckoning and have to give an account. But there is the sense in which Jesus is saying this message of the love of God must be accompanied by a community of love that are united despite their differences. Their differences in opinions about politics and race and justice and masks and gathering dynamics. I mean, you just think about Jesus' own disciples. Jesus with Matthew the tax collector and Jesus with Simon the zealot. One of them would have been like, I work for the IRS and the other is a BLM activist and actually they together with very different culture and convictions on the same team and Jesus was praying that the father would make them one for the sake of mission the world does not get a hall pass for not believing the gospel but actually as Dallas Willard said a united community of love is the final apologetic of the gospel. It's not ultimately proving creation or even proving the resurrection as helpful as those things are. Actually, the proof of the pudding of the gospel is in the eating in terms of a loving community. It's why I lament every church split, every marriage split, Every person that leaves a church refusing to resolve conflict, it's, it's not just bad for us here, it's, it's bad for them out there as they look on. So pursue unity through union with Christ, through serving one another. And through finding a common view of what it means to be sent and sanctified for the sake of mission, for the sake of the gospel. I want to land with this little parable. A man walked into a violin maker's store one day. And he asked 
how he made this violin. And the violin maker took a string and he held it up and he kind of wiggled it around and he said, let me ask you this, is this string free? And the onlooker said, yeah, it seems to be free. It's like wiggling around. It can do whatever it wants. And then the man took this string and he anchored it at one end and the other of the violin and he turned the tuning peg so it went taut. And he took another one, waggled it around. Is this string free? Well, it seems to be free and that one seems to be locked down. And he did it four times. I think there's four strings on a violin string. And he tuned it to a good key. And then he began to play the most incredible violin solo. And he said, I tell you what, these strings, they do not look free, but they are free to sing. And there is a kind of unity that actually requires that we give up some of our freedoms, what looks like freedom, just to be autonomous and to do whatever we please. There's a kind of freedom and autonomy that we give up for the sake of the gospel, that we say, I will be anchored down. I will commit. I will serve. I will sacrifice. And when I do, even though it feels a little constraining, then I am free to sing. And then the divine violinist can play us according to his melody and his message and song. I want to call you and implore you to find the freedom of actually being committed to team and community that actually will find that you are able to live out your design, that you are free to sing for the glory of God. City Gates, uh, we love you. We applaud your perseverance. We ask for the Spirit to pour out His love and His unity and just His staying power on an incredibly hard season that you would begin to see the gospel sing forth, echo forth from you as you walk in unity together. Father, bless these people. Strengthen them. Encourage them. May this message somehow through your word both sanctify them and send them and call them to be a greater team than they've ever been before. In your name, Jesus. And thank you that you are praying these things for them. We align ourselves with your prayer. Amen. Well, hey, City Gators, uh, Vic here. Um, I trust that you were so encouraged by what Alan uh, shared with us. Of course, we would have so uh, preferred having Alan uh, with us in person as uh, we, um, we were once accustomed to. Um, Alan and Rennell and Southlands Church, they they're dear friends of City Gates, and we've so enjoyed seeing them almost on an annual basis as they've come to hang out with us here in Canada. But um, this is the way it is, and uh, I think you know, as he spoke about unity, um, I think you know, I'm reminded of the unity that we have even in our movement in advance, where we get to partner with churches like Southlands and leaders like Allen. So I'm so grateful for that. That it's something that is true, not just of our local church, but you know, the church, capital C, as well. And so, you know, I think, you know, what he shared with us um, is, is, is really important for us to obviously fight for and implement 
uh, in our time. And I can't think of a better next step to take uh, in terms of uh, exercising this unity uh, than attending our after party, which is happening just in a couple of uh, minutes from now at 12 o'clock. And so, you know, we are right now uh, emailing you the link uh, and uh, we're also posting that link in the comment field, whether you're on YouTube or on our uh, online.citygates.ca platform. Um, and uh, I think we might even send a text message out as well to those who are able to receive them. Um, and if you didn't get a link and you want to be a part of our uh, after party, um, just reach out to the office. I think if you text our office number, which is 289-660-0085, uh, someone uh, uh, on staff will get that message and we can get that link to you. Uh, so absolutely no excuse uh, not to join us in a couple of moments. And I would love to see, uh, of course, every City Gator and, and, and even our guests that joined us today. I'd love to see you there, even if just for a short moment. You don't have to stay the whole time. You can stay the the whole time if you like, um, but at least just come and say hi, uh, maybe make some new friends and see some old faces, some old friends too. Um, and so that is our after party that's coming uh, up in a couple of minutes. Um, and I think uh, a great next step to take uh, where we can implement some of the things that we uh, heard from Alan now as he looked at Jesus's prayer for you and me. And maybe we can take some of those things with us, obviously, into our community groups this week, uh, this week as well, uh, as we take communion, uh, which speaks of our common union. You know, the word unity is even in that, that, uh, that act, that sacrament that is important to us. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully I'll see you in a couple of moments. Um, otherwise, uh, have an amazing Sunday, an amazing week, and we'll see you again next, uh, next Sunday. Same time, same place.